Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. Tracy, come on up. If we would all just bless Tracy. Can you, can you, you. stay here for a minute with me? Can, can I stay here? Yeah. Do I get to hold the mic? Me. Can I hold the mic? Heck yeah, I want to cool. talk to you. Oh. Yeah. This is unplanned, by the way, people. Absolutely unplanned, and I didn't think about it until he was just standing up here. And I've got tissues in my pocket. I so better not need those. I know. You probably will, but you'll fake that you're not I'll, crying. I'll get over it. Walk off of the stage. Um, you know, today I wanted to start with a declaration. And I want to declare that God is doing something good with your pain. If you have pain, so this is what we're going to be talking about today. God is doing something with your pain. He is doing something great with your pain. He is turning it into beauty. So I declare that in Jesus' name over whatever pain, whatever um, struggles you're going through in your life right now, um, I declare that for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, but as I was, um, because right down here, it says, recall pain in my life. So anyway, I'm starting out with that. I'm starting, <laughs> I'm starting out with some of my most difficult pain. And I just want to say that you and your wife helped Ted and I through this when we went through a really difficult time in our marriage. And I can remember, I can remember taking a shower and sitting on that shower floor and just crying, you know, not knowing what to do. You're, you're at the end of it. You don't know what's going to come. You can't see beauty because you're in so much pain. And I just want to thank you and Denise for helping us through that. We've been married for 40 years, and it is beautiful. And out of, I know, and out of that, out of that pain, because we went through that and we had that struggle, we have a beautiful marriage today. And, and I just want to declare that for you. Whatever pain you're going through, there's going to be beauty in the end. And I've got lots of stories to tell. So it's thanks redemption. for hanging out it's with It's redemption. Me. Amen. It was an honor. Thank you. Let me take your coat. Are you warm? Are you cold? Heck or? no. This is my outfit. Okay. <laughs> Guys, they don't know anything. Does he know I got this fanny pack I've got to hide back here? Anyway. Oh, Kevin, you're such, such a cute guy. Oh, my gosh. So, God has something new for you in 2022. God has something new for you in 2022. I declare it in Jesus' name. Yes. So, I'm going to do a little bit of storytelling today. Um, so, I, I want to start with a couple people I want to tell you about. And the first one is Joseph. And you might know Joseph's story. Um, it starts kind of in Genesis chapter 37. You might have heard of Joseph before. He gets a pretty coat from his dad. So I'm going to tell you that story, but I'm going to use the Tracy translation. So it is uh, maybe a little more simplified than the actual NIV or something like that. Definitely more simplified than the King James Version. So in this story... Um, was a man named Jacob. And Jacob was considered to be the patriarch of the Israelites. He had many sons, and in fact, he had 12 sons to be exact. So this story focuses, however, 
on just one of Jacob's sons. Well, actually, the main focus is on the one son, but we get to hear about all of the sons. So, Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, was 17 years old at the time, and he was helping his brothers out as they were herding the family flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, as Jacob had many wives. You see, Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons because Joseph was born to him in Jacob's old age. His brothers, of course, realized that daddy loved Joseph more, and they grew to despise him, to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to Joseph. So, on top of that, they already don't like him, and then daddy makes him this gorgeous robe, this coat, and it's beautiful, and it makes Joseph stand out among his brothers. None of his brothers have a beautiful coat that was made for them and given to them by their father. So they dislike him even more. Now, let's add fuel to the fire, because God is using Joseph, and God gives Joseph a dream. Joseph has this dream, and he just can't wait to tell his brothers about it. He says, listen, I had this dream. We were all, all of us brothers, we were, we were out in the field gathering bundles of wheat. All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up, and your bundles bowed down around to mine. Do you think his brothers were happy about that? Heck no. His brothers are like, what the heck? So you're going to rule over us? You're going to boss us around, our little brother? And they hated him all the more. Yeah. Those dreams made him even less likable. But Joseph had another dream. He wasn't done. And he told his brothers and his father about this. He said, I dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down before me. When he told his fathers and brothers his dream, his father reprimanded him. What's with all this dreaming? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous of him. But his father was just kind of brooding over that experience. Joseph's brothers, who says, maybe it's the next day, go out and they're tending the flocks. And Jacob says to Joseph, go and see how your brothers are doing with the, with the flocks out there and um, report back to me how things are going. So Joseph went off and tracked down his brothers. His brothers could see him coming from a mile away. So they spotted him in the distance. By the time that Joseph got to his brothers, they had cooked up a plot to kill him. That's a pretty big dislike. The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's just, let's throw him in one of these old cisterns. We can say that a vicious animal ate him up. We'll see what his dreams amount to. But one of the brothers heard the others talking, and he intervened to save him. I call him the nice brother. He is also named Reuben. 
Well, no, 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 we're not going to kill him. No murder. Um, just go ahead and throw him and his cistern out here um, in the wild, but don't hurt him. Because Reuben, in his mind, planned to go back and get Joseph when nobody was looking and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they ripped off the fancy coat that he was wearing, grabbed him, and threw him in the cistern. Then they sat down and they were eating their supper. Suddenly, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, and Judah said, Brothers, mm, I have another idea here. Hmm. Instead of killing our brothers and concealing the evidence, why don't we sell him? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites instead of killing him. After all, he is our brother, and we can get rich. By that time, the Midianite traders were passing by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. The Ishmaelites took Joseph with them down to Egypt. Later, the nice brother came back and went to the cistern, but no Joseph, he was gone. He, Reuben, rips off his clothes in despair. Besides himself, he, beside himself, he went to his brother. The boy's gone. What am I do, going to do? So they took Joseph's coat that they had ripped off of him. They butchered a goat and dipped the coat in blood. They took the fancy coat back to their father and said, Oh, we found this. Look it over. Do you think it's your son's coat? Jacob at once recognized it. My son's coat, a wild animal has eaten him. And Jacob tore his clothes in grief, dressed in rough burlap, and mourned his son a long, long time. His sons and daughter tried to comfort him, but he refused their comfort. I'll go to the grave mourning my son, he said. And oh, how his father wept for him. In Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. So that's chapter 37, Tracy version of Genesis. Chapter 37 was not kind to Joseph, was it? It was a rough patch in Joseph's life. His brothers hated him so much that they plotted to kill him. But instead, they decided, eh, we think we'll make some money off of him. I don't know which is worse. Um, and get rid of him to boot. So they sold him into slavery. So here is what I want you to know. That this is not the end of Joseph's story. This is not the end of Joseph's story. This is a chapter. This is a chapter in Joseph's life. A lot of us get hung up on a chapter of our lives, and we keep thinking about the chapter, the chapter where our sorrow was, the chapter where our sorrow was. So that's not the end for Joseph. We have to look ahead. We have to go to the next chapter. In Isaiah 43, 19, it says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Picture yourself in Joseph's shoes, hated by your brothers who wanted you dead, sold into slavery, but guess what? 
it doesn't go uphill just yet. In chapter 39, we see that Joseph becomes a servant, but is falsely accused of making advances to his master's wife. And he's imprisoned. So he's got that going for him. In chapter 40, we see that Joseph interprets dreams of two head honchos on Pharaoh's team who were imprisoned with him. And the only thing he asks of them in return is that they would put in a good word when they get out of prison. But they forgot about him. In chapter 41, we finally see things start to turn around for Joseph because he gets an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, telling him that the land of Egypt is going to have seven years of famine, or seven years of abundance, and then seven years of famine, and that he needs to prepare for that. Pharaoh thinks this man is so wise, and he ends up putting him over all the land. The only thing that he is not in charge of is basically Pharaoh himself. In chapter 42, Joseph's brothers come to him and search for food, but they don't recognize him. They've got to come to their younger brother, who they sold into slavery, and they're standing in front of him asking for food for their family. It is not until chapter 47, it is not until chapter 47 that we see Joseph becoming whole again. He is reunited with his father, and his entire family is made whole. So sometimes in our lives, we actually have to go through 10 chapters <laughs> before, we get, before we get to the good stuff. Hmm. But God wants to bring beauty from your pain. I, uh, last night, I was, actually, I've been, I've been preparing for this message for, I've known for um, a few weeks that I've been, been going to teach, and so I've been doing a lot of studying, and the thing that just kept coming up over and over again, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, T.D. Jakes, awesome, Stephen Furtick, also awesome, um, but it just, it just kept coming up that I was listening to messages that were about God is going to bring beauty from your darkness, from your hard times, from your pain. So I, I had seen on Facebook one of, one of my dear friends who just has uh, uh, gone through um, just a bad time with a divorce. And, um, you know, I've, she is a beautiful person, and I've seen her suffer. And I didn't want to bring this message saying, yeah, there's good stuff to come. Like, I, I called her and I said, I just want you to know this message isn't about pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, like, that's not what kind of message this is. This is an, a, a message of encouragement, a message of hope. Um, and I'm going to veer for just a second if you guys will bear with me. On Christmas Eve, we had some, there was some turmoil um, in our lives. I'll just say that. And I was sitting in Walgreens parking lot, um, just sobbing. I do this a lot, evidently, once every 20 years. I don't know. Um, but just sobbing, and I'm, I'm thinking, I don't even want to get out of my car. I, I just, my heart was breaking. Do you know, have you ever been in that place where your heart is, like you can hardly breathe? And, and that's where I was 
on Christmas Eve. I'm like, I can't, I can't even breathe. I don't, I just want to cancel. I'm going to cancel everything. I just want to go and, and cry and put the covers over my head. That's how I felt on Christmas Eve. But on Christmas morning, in, in these same relationships that we have, I saw a hint of beauty. I saw a hint of hope. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I can't tell you the whole story because I don't have permission to. Um, but, I mean, isn't that what Christmas is all about? <laughs> we just came through the hope. And that's what I'm hoping that you guys will get from today is that even though you're going through pain, there is hope. There is hope. So I was talking to this friend last night who's gone through um, just a horrible, heart-wrenching relationship break, and just to ask her what her reaction would be to God wanting to bring beauty from your pain. And I got a couple pieces of wisdom, pearls of wisdom from her. Um, one was straight off of her Facebook page, so I'm just going to share it for, with you. It's hard to face a future that looks nothing like I thought or prayed for. You ever been there? <laughs> yeah. Yet, sometimes God rescues us out of relationships instead of restoring them. Bam. You know, for those of you going through a difficult divorce, you know, there's that. Love it. Then this morning she sent me this. It's uh, from Toby Mac, actually. Um, and it's just a quote that says, Never be afraid of change. You may lose something good, but you may gain something even better. And I declare that it's not a may, that we may, we will gain something even better in Jesus' name. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things, all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Man, so beautiful. Joseph had a purpose. There was a purpose for Joseph's life. Joseph, if Joseph hadn't, um, if Joseph hadn't gone to, to Egypt as a slave, who would have saved who would have saved all of the Israel? Everybody would have died. There wouldn't be an Israel. There wouldn't be, it would be gone. It would have been um, because the famine was so severe, there wouldn't have been anybody to say to Pharaoh, you need to store up. You need to store up seven years worth of abundance to prepare for the famine that's coming. And that's what Joseph did. That's what he um, did for Pharaoh. Um, but the whole line, the whole lineage of the, the Israelites is based on the fact that Joseph was saved from starvation because he would have, if he had he stayed with his family, they all would have starved out in the desert, okay? So, just beautiful. Plus, he got to, his family got to be restored. That God is good. You know, I can't think of a better picture um, of this reality than the life of our very own Amy Detzel. Amy Detzel, I know that you are watching. Um, you have COVID, and I declare in Jesus' name that you will be healed supernaturally fast. Um, but for those of you who don't know Amy, 
She is Pastor Ryan's sister. And if that description isn't good enough, you may know her as the girl who got engaged in church last week, right? Okay, so that's Amy. Amy was stuck in one chapter of her life. She was stuck in one chapter of her life. Have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been stuck here when all the goodness is over here? But you're stuck here. So that's where Amy was. For 20 years of her life, she couldn't turn the page. Amy was stuck in a perpetual groundhog day. Okay, any young people in here born after, I don't know, 1990-something? Um, maybe you don't know Groundhog Day. I'm, I'm hoping that most of you know the movie Groundhog Day. Right? Okay. So if you don't remember it, I'll give you a little recap here. Um, we have weatherman Phil Collins, who is going to Punxsutawney to um, basically interview um, Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog, who's going to come out and let us know whether there's going to be six more weeks of winter or whatever. And Phil dislikes this job so much. You know, what a waste of his time. And he's got to go to Punxsutawney and, and go and do this interview, blah, 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 with the, uh, the yearly groundhog report. And he makes no secret of his contempt. He's nasty. He he's just hates everything, and he hates everybody. And um, so they get to Punxsutawney. They spend the night. He wakes up. And if you remember the film, he's at the Cherry Tree Inn, and he wakes up to Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe, playing on the clock radio. He gives, goes to the Groundhog Report, gives a half-hearted report on Punxsutawney Phil and the festivity, and then a blizzard hits the area, and he is stuck in Punxsutawney. So he's stuck there, and he's searching for a way to leave, but he has to spend the night again. He wakes up the next morning to I Got You Babe and the same DJ mumbling the same thing on that clock radio. He experiences the previous day's events repeating exactly as they had before. And how many times does he go through this? If you've seen the movie, you know that Phil repeats these events over and over again. Sometimes he uh, knows what's going to happen, and he's kind of manipulating things to his advantage. Um, and something beautiful ends up happening at the end. I mean, he goes through some pretty ugly stuff in the meantime. He doesn't want to keep living this over and over again. I believe he may have been trapped in that time loop um, for... Years, he could have been trapped there. We don't know how long it was. We just see him keep repeating this. Phil gradually becomes depressed and finds no way to escape. He even tries to commit suicide. But eventually, he tries to explain this to Rita, who over the many times, Rita is his um, producer of his show, um, The Pretty Girl, and he explains to her that he has knowledge of the day's events because he's lived this day before, and he shows her every single thing that's going to happen, and she believes him. She's like, oh my gosh, that really, this really must, you really must have lived this before. So eventually, Phil decides to use his knowledge of the loop to change himself, mainly because 
Rita encourages him to think of this repetition as a blessing instead of a curse. So Phil decides to use the knowledge to change, to change things. He helps save people from deadly accidents and misfortunes. He learns how to play the piano, sculpt ice, and speak French. Phil decides to use what he has learned to move on to the next chapter of his life. Eventually, one iteration of the loop, Phil reports on Groundhog Day festivities with such eloquence that none of the other news people are paying attention to Punxsutawney Phil, or and they are just paying attention, paying attention to Phil. Did I, Punxsutawney Phil and Phil? Did I get that right? Yeah, goodness, that's funny. Okay. So that night, so he goes through that day um, in just, you know, a, a, a beautiful day of him doing good deeds for everybody. And Rita is watching all of this, and she successfully bids for him at, on a, at a charity auction. Um, and it ends up with he and Rita just laying and kind of holding each other at the end. Shows the next morning, the clock radio goes off playing, I got you, babe. But Rita is laying next to him. So he was finally able. Phil wakes up and things have changed. He was able to move on to the next chapter, but only after he embraced the process. He was fighting the process this whole time. So I think that often helps to us, happens to us. So Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every, every activity under the heavens. If Phil had been set free from the time loop at an earlier time, he would never have learned the things necessary for him to live a beautiful life, right? Amy Detzel was a lot like Phil Connors, stuck in the worst chapter of her life, only to repeat it day after day. She was surrounded by addiction and abuse from birth. She was stuck in the worst chapter of her life. She was sexually trafficked at age 13 and continued in prostitution because of those experiences. She was stuck in the worst chapter of her life. She lived on the streets. She was physically and emotionally abused. She was stuck in the worst chapter of her life. She was shot in the face and thrown out of a moving car. She was stuck in the worst chapter of her life. She contracted HIV and her heart was damaged and disease and when she had to have heart surgery and just a lot of horrible illness, she was stuck in the worst chapter of her life. Amy thought that she would never escape that. She thought she would never be able to move forward and have the things that most people think they're going to have. Would she ever get married? Probably not. You know, would she ever have a house of her own, a place of her own? Probably not. That's what she thought. That's what she thought. But she moved on. She partnered with God to write her own new story. And I know Amy well, and I know that she's making the most out of her life.
She uses the experiences from the absolute worst chapter of her life to minister to other woman, women who are going through what she went through. So she just told me that um, she got a phone call from somebody who was picking up a young girl who she had picked up off of the streets. And she's like, Amy, you know, I just, could you talk to this girl? Could you talk to this girl? And, and Amy's telling her, you know, I, I came off the streets from prostitution and this is, and this is how, this is how my life, you know, has become beautiful. And, you know, talking about God being the center of it and, you know, just, just so much beauty. And then the girl says, you know, that she has HIV and Amy's like, oh my gosh. I mean, everything that Amy can use, every tool that was put into her toolbox during the worst chapter of her life, she's using today. She's using today. And Amy, I am so excited. I'm so excited that you are all already well into the next chapter of your life, to the next chapters. And I can't wait to see the beauty that God is bringing for you. Mm. A few more examples of just in the Bible, where from chapter to chapter, there's such a great change. Think about the death of Lazarus. We had, had Martha, who, here we are in chapter 11 of John, and she's, they're saying, please come, you know, Lazarus is dying. Lazarus dies. And Jesus is, is walking into, into the town, and Martha comes out to meet him and says, uh, he's already dead. He's already dead, and she's grieving, she's mourning. And there she is in John chapter 11, mourning and telling Jesus, you know, basically, you're too late. You're too late. But in chapter 12, the next chapter, Martha was praising. She was praising that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Think about the book of Acts. In chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen is stoned. And who is standing there while Stephen is stoned? It's Saul. Yeah, Paul. So Saul is standing there. He is a persecutor of Christians, watching, approving the stoning of Stephen. That stoning of Stephen, so interesting. So we've got that in chapter 7. In chapter 8, we find out that that stoning actually scattered the church. And what happened when the church wasn't just here in one spot anymore? The word spread. So the stoning of Stephen was the impetus for the church spreading. Yeah, so that's chapter 8. But we're not finished. Because in chapter 9, Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he meets Jesus. And he becomes the most vocal person about the gospel. He wants to spread it everywhere. He can't tell enough people. And in fact, Paul talks so much that he actually writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. The next chapter. The next chapter. Whatever you're going through right now, God has something beautiful that he wants to bring and will bring from your pain. Never assume that because you cannot see what God is doing, that he is doing nothing. Isaiah 43, verse 19 again. See, 
I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So I am going to close with prayer. But this is a song. I'm not singing it as much as I could try not to sing it. I read through this several times at home, and each time I ended up singing, so I hope for your sake that I don't end up singing. So I'm praying this over you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I'm praying, God, come and turn this thing around, whatever you have going on in your life, whatever you have that is your greatest struggle, I'm praying that God come and turn this thing around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. I'm calling on the name that changes everything. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. Because all of my hope, all of our hope is in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come, come in the name of Jesus. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. He is up to something. He is up to something. God is doing something right now. He is up to something. God is doing something. He is doing something right now. He is healing someone. He is saving someone. God is doing something right now. He is moving mountains, making a way for someone. God is doing something right now. All of my hope, all of my hope is in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come. Breakthrough is coming right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes, in the name of Jesus. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. So I declare this and pray this for everybody here, everybody who listens to this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for, com- thanks for coming today, guys. We'll see. Pastor Ryan will be back. He'll be here next week. Great to see you. For more information about Vineyard Westside, please visit vineyardwestside.com.